Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by yours truly, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each week on Ciao Bella, I explore today's Italy, speaking with artisans, designers, hoteliers, architects, artists, Parmesan makers, in other words, the creators who are making the Italy that you love. So sit back and join in. Bella, this is Erica Firpo. I'm here with La Double J, JJ Martin. Um, the she's a journalist, a designer, an e-commerce entrepreneur, um, also known as the Queen of Prints by the business of fashion. And we are here inside her physical mind palace. Um, I'd love to say hello. Hi. Um, yes, we're here in our. Uh, headquarters, which, as you've noticed, is a very small space that houses both our showroom as well as our office, as well as um, a informal boutique where people can come and do uh, private shopping. Um, and we're growing a lot, so we're, we're always, as you can tell, us huddled in this corner. There's uh, never enough space and never enough people to get all the work done. Well, it's, it's really, really, really dynamic, which just, you know, reviewing following you for the past I would say at least I've you know I've had my eye on you for and, and that sounds a little stalkery but for about six years I've read the articles you've written for wallpaper um you want to tell me a little bit more about yourself um sure I'm an American uh born and raised in Los Angeles and went to Berkeley for university and um was living in New York uh after college and met an Italian man and we started a long distance relationship and I ended up moving to Italy for him. I didn't have a job. And I just threw myself into intensive language courses, ended up getting a job uh, with a fashion company called uh, Costume National, which oh, wow. uh, has since closed. Um, and while I was working for them, I met a journalist called Godfredini, who was at the time the editor-in-chief for Fashionware Daily, which was the world's first online fashion news website. Um, this was in 2001. <laughs> so wow. this was before most of the major fashion companies in Italy even had websites. So um, I started my journalism career with him, and it was really funny because it was at a time when um, as I mentioned, nobody in Italy was even, the digital was not on the radar at all. Um, no one in Italy was reading the articles that I was writing at, at all, except for one very important person who was Susie Menkes. Oh, wow. So after a year of working for Godfrey, she uh, asked me to write for the Herald Tribune, um, and that just kind of launched me. So from there, I became... Um, Always about fashion? Yeah, I started my career at, with uh, fashion as a focus, and I was the um, European editor for Harper's Bazaar, the American edition of Harper's Bazaar for five years. And then um, I got the job with Wallpaper, and I was with them for eight years, and that's when my world really expanded into art, architecture, design, as well as fashion, food. And um, and I, while I was working at Wallpaper, I also had a side job as a contributing editor at the Wall Street Journal magazine. So in that in this like arc of 15 years of being a journalist, I contributed for many, many different magazines um, and was on staff for those three. 
So it was super interesting that those jobs allowed me to really penetrate the Italian world um, because it's not the kind of thing where you just drop in, as you probably know, in Italy and, and understand how things work. It's all about relationships. It's all about meeting people and knowing how to get doors opened. And my journalism career really allowed me to do that. And you're, I mean, you were in Milan, which is, I mean, you are in Milan, which is a lot different from Rome. I think Rome can be a little bit easier, a little bit more open. Milan is a lot more closed doors. That's what I think has impressed me so much is that I've seen you on the pulse of things so Milanese that I'm I'm thinking, is this woman just pretending to be American? <laughs> no, and at a certain point, I know I feel very, I feel very Italian, except for I got pulled over by the police last night um, uh, in my car uh, because the taillights of my vintage Cinquecento didn't work, and I do not have an Italian driver's license yet. So every uh. time the police pull me over, I pull, I whip out my my. Los Angeles, California-issued driver's license. It's so funny. So I think it's time to upgrade to an Italian driver's license. I, I completely know that feeling. <laughs> this is a discussion my husband and I have all the time. We're not going to bring it up. Um, you know, I, I thought I'd love to talk to you about how the Double J came about, because we now know the, the, the birth of you as a journalist. But the Double J, if you want to talk a little bit about that, tell us what it is. And I mean, and should I call you La Double J? Well, no, everybody calls me JJ. Um, but the name came about as sort of a joke. Um, Double J was a, a nickname that my family and really close friends, a few close friends used to call me um, because of JJ, because of my nickname anyway. So it's like a triple nickname. Um, and when I was looking to launch the website, um, you know, as you probably realize in Italy, or especially in Milan, they refer to women in the third person as la. So it would be uh, la Amelia or la Melissa or where is la JJ? And I just thought that was so funny. But now it's what the funny thing is now that we're more of an international company. Everyone thinks that we're French because we've got this la. Uh, in I didn't front even of, think about that. Yeah. So a lot of people call us la double J, and I'm like, this is not a French company. <laughs> I'm. I'm from California, and this was based in Milan. But that's kind of funny. But anyway, the the, the reason that I started the website, um, it's morphed. It's had a lot of different lives. And it first started as a um, kind of an ode to my twin pas passions. One was vintage. I remember that, yeah. And the other was these amazing creative women in Milan who I had been meeting through my journalism career. Um, lots of times with fashion magazines, you don't really get to choose who you write about. Um, they want you to write about advertisers. They want you to right. write about the really big people. And I was meeting all of these just incredible women who were tastemakers and um, incredible career women, but then, then also had these like magnificent dinner parties as well, which I, you know, in, in America, it's like you're either one or the other. You can't usually do both, you know? Right. So I was really kind of fascinated. And um uh, I started the website. It was an e-commerce website. We started by selling vintage clothing and vintage jewelry. Um, I'd been collecting for many years, and been, I was also working with several dealers that I was friends with that was helping me that were helping me with the stock. And, uh, but primarily at that point, the website was an editorial focused. I remember it was website. There was a lot. There was a lot of written content. A lot of written content. I mean, I would say it was kind of eighty percent magazine and twenty percent commerce, um, and it was super fun. And uh, it got a lot of attention because people had not seen vintage presented that way. We were showing it with mixed with new clothes, and we were showing it on real women. I mean, no other website was doing that. No one was showing vintage this way, and you know, my whole 
aesthetic has always been very punchy, very colorful, print-focused. Um, and we also had this like kind of humorous tongue-in-cheek point of view. So those were the sort of like elements of how we launched the brand. And it got a lot of attention and a lot of um, uh, when, when visibility. Did, when did Love Double J first launch? It launched in 2015. Okay, that's right. Now, just a quick question about vintage, because one of the things from, from my living in Rome, you know, now we see lots of vintage shops. Before, that was kind of like, you didn't really talk about that. Was that the same in Milan? A hundred percent. When I first moved here, I, my entire wardrobe was picked up from pieces from the Chelsea flea market in New York. And I would walk around in my vintage dresses and my flip-flops and these women, I remember these women just looking at me like I was crazy. Couldn't find any vintage shops. They existed, but they were like behind closed doors and they were only really servicing fashion designers. They were used as research. Um, right. They weren't, they weren't being sold to the public. But I have to say, you know, right around the time when I launched this, almost four years ago, that's really when vintage started picking up in Milan. I mean, I had a lot of things kind of on my side. Vintage was picking up, Milan was picking up. Um, co this colorful, crazy print world was really picking up with Alessandro Michele Gucci. That's right. So, you know, I kind of like, I got the universe, the stars were aligned and, you know, we were doing a lot of things that were kind of relevant for the moment. Well, let's talk about the prints because I know that you, you know, these are, I've heard them called vintage prints or archived prints. And I know Milan's history as a capital of fabric is, you know, pl plays into this a lot as well. So can you tell me about how your line came about? So about two years into this or year, year and a half into my um, venture with La Double J, um, everything was going great. We were actually getting a lot of requests from other fashion companies to create co digital content for them because they, they really loved the way that um, we were creating such original visuals, original stories, et cetera. Um, but I decided I really didn't want to become a creative agency. And because uh, we could have gone that direction. We had a lot of, um, we were working for Armani, we were working for Missoni, Etro, Tory Burch, um, Max Mara. So big clients that we were creating digital campaigns for them. Uh, photos, stories, like all sorts of things that we were doing for them. And um, so my husband was like, because selling vintage became very difficult. And in general, it really is. And the big, the big issue is when you're doing real vintage, meaning pieces that are older than 20 years old, um, it's really a question of the time it takes to research and find them. Because there's only, a, there's like a finite amount of that really special right. stuff that isn't, um, damaged, that doesn't smell bad, that is in the right size, then once you get that to your customer, you only have one. So my it was really my husband's idea. He said, why don't you start making new clothes with vintage prints? So ah. we knew this family. Um, in, it's actually in Lake Como. Mm -hmm. So Lake Como is, as you probably know, in Italy, the, the whole country is like divided up like a cow for all the various cuts of the country that are specialized in different things. Um, just like, you know, a certain, like, literally, I, I always think of it like a cow, you know, you're the, your flank. The, yeah, right? the flank is good for this kind of sauce right. or whatever it is. Italy is divided up into little sections. So uh, Lake Como is really the area for silk making. And Lake Como, just, just for our listeners, is about 30 minutes, I think, what is it? 45. 45 minutes. Is it northwest? Okay. Yeah, northeast maybe. 
northeast. So I think. It's, it's close, but it's also its own entire entity. Yeah, exactly. And um, we we knew this family um, that has owned a silk factory there for 120 years. They're called Mantero Seta, and um, they have been servicing and making silks for the world's top fashion companies for over 100 years. So their clients over the years have been Christian Dior, Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, I go in there today, I see reams of Gucci fabric and Louis Vuitton next to La Double J. It's pretty incredible um, seeing what is is done there. I imagine. I, I have a, just a really quick question because um, that came to me when I, we were coming here is that if some of these prints are archived prints, is there a copyright on them or? So what happens is when Gucci or Vuitton goes to Mantero today, they go with their own prints. Someone inside Gucci designed, designed the print and then uh, then the people inside Mantero work with the print. They digitize the print, they get it ready for actual, They they there's a lot of technological uh, aspects to prepping like from an illustration or from a drawing or whatever it is into actually making it something that is printable. Um, and then they're responsible obviously for producing the raw material. They make the raw material, then they print the raw material, they run it, etc. So that's what they do. Now, in terms of the archives, um, as you probably know, many um, textile manufacturers over the last 20 years have shut down. Yeah, um, They're getting gobbled up. The, the Chinese muscle and these huge companies in China that are able to do things so quickly and so cheaply has, has made the competition extremely uh, fierce. And a lot of the small, wonderful uh, companies have closed. In that time, Mantero did a lot of buying of their those small companies' archives. Ah. And they had their own archives. So um, to answer your question, that was really long-winded. Anyway, um, yes, when we use a vintage print, it has to be something that wasn't like, it, it wasn't ever used for Christian Dior. Okay. We can't use Christian Dior's prints okay. or uh, Yves Saint Laurent's prints. We, but we find many things that never be that never yeah. went into a collection, or uh, we find things in art books. They're so they have so many wonderful resources. A lot of what I'm looking at is photo not photography, but really illustrations and designs. Are you guys also does that does that mean you're in, to some degree kind of designing your own your own prints as well? Some yeah, sometimes we are. And in fact, um, my design team now is growing to the point where we are um, designing a lot of stuff our, on our own. But for example, this is a print, this Lilium print, um, I think this is the 1980s. Um, it was identical to this in the archive, but it had a different color. Okay. So lots of times what we do is we change the whole colorways. So. This, for example, the, the confetti, the, the blue, yellow, and black one right there, that was the print we used on our very first dress. And the colorway was actually, the original colorway was red, yellow, turquoise. So it's a totally different thing. And now, so we so update things. you can change things. the palette, you can update. You can update, exactly. And even this, you look, um, we started with silk, then we moved to cotton, then we moved to nylon, then we moved to, now we work with viscose and um, now we're doing even brocades and jacquards. So this was actually this brocade that you see with the metallic um, thread uh, was 
the pattern here was based on a print. Okay, so ah. it was based on a vintage pattern. Okay, and then it was, that pattern was then transferred to a jacquard technique that made this brocade. Now, would that be something that you do also at Mantata? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. That's that we make everything and like all of our fabrics are made in Lake Como ex with the exception of knitwear, which Bentero doesn't make and our knitwear is made in central Italy. Would that be, is that, I know that like Prato, that area is known for knitwear. Is it's it? in Le Marche. Oh, in Le Marche. Okay, yeah. cool. So that's another part of the cow. Then. Yeah, it's another part of the cow. Exactly. Um, and the other thing that they don't do is, well, they do do a little bit, but we're starting now to work with a jersey factory as well. So ah. just it's more specialized. Oh, interesting. This, I mean, it's it, just to let people know what I'm looking at and what she's talking about. It's a myriad of colors. Um, I When I first walked into the showroom office studio workspace, Mind Palace, um, I, I started touching all the fabrics because you have that beautiful cotton on that, the blue dress over there that was like a thick cotton that I feel like I've never touched before. Or maybe I touched, I used to, I remember when I was a child, wore dresses like that. Well, exactly. I mean, we work with four different, five different cottons right now. We've got a, a classic cotton poplin. Then we've got a super light cotton voile that's almost transparent, great for summertime. Then we have a heavy cotton stretch, which is like a thicker, that might be the one you're talking about. And then we also have a metallicized cotton that kind of crinkles up. Oh, wow. Then we have a shot cotton, which is coming this season, which almost looks like a linen effect. So now we work with tons of different fabric bases. And they're all primarily made in Italy. They're all 100% made in Italy. And this I have to really emphasize because when people ask me, why are your dresses so expensive? I'm like, because they're not made in China. That's that the answer. <laughs> they're not made in China. They're not made in Portugal. They're not made in India. They're not made in Thailand. 100%. Making clothing in Italy is expensive. That's, I mean... To be honest, that's, I, I love that mentality because I think that's been the sacrifice that I've seen over the past 10 years with Italian, or more than 10 years with Italian companies. And it's really easy to um, to watch all the, to walk into a store and buy something very inexpensively. Um, but there's this whole philosophy, I don't know if you ever read it. Um, there's, a, there's a writer, I think he's with the Wall Street Journal, who had come up with this idea that he wasn't gonna buy anything that was less than 200 euro. So whether it was a t-shirt or a pair of socks, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating on that level. But the idea was that the reason why he had set this price was because one, he made him think more about what he was buying and the value of the workmanship that was going into it. And his idea was that you don't, you know, and I think this is also very part of the Italian mentality or maybe a, a little bit more storied Italian mentality is that, 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 you know, buying clothing is about the process of the clothing itself, the value of the clothing and not, not kind of, you know, buy and chuck, um, so this writer was talking about how his lifestyle changed because he was buying like three pieces a year. But those pieces became evergreen and they were top quality. And I think that parlays into what you're doing as well. Because these dresses, you know, I, I look at them and some of them remind me of my, like they remind me of growing up when I was younger and it's a beautiful nostalgic feeling. Yeah, yeah. No, they're but, definitely, but they, they have vintage, they're definitely vintage prints. I think what makes them feel, some of them are retro. Some, we do have some things that feel vintagey. But the difference now is that we're working on new silhouettes. Well, that's that feel, what I was going to say. The silhouettes, for, for me, just looking at them, they're they're they can, they're more modern. They can and they can carry through. Yeah, yeah. Which is beautiful. Now, I wanted to ask you because you you did mention Milan and Milan all of a sudden being on the radar. Um, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about Milan. Um, you know, recently, I, th I think with the with the expo, it's become this it city, and. Maybe it's the expo. Maybe it's just something in the air in Milan. Um, 
my first question would be for you, why now? Why not 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I think it was the internet. Ah. I honestly think it was social media and uh, because a, a city's coolness always has to do with youth culture and young people feeling empowered and feeling creative and feeling like they're doing things. When I first moved here 17 years ago, there was no youth culture. I mean, you went on the street and they weren't even wearing D&G yet. I mean, it was really weird how like sleepy everything was. And I feel like the minute Instagram started, Italy started, or the Milanese kids like woke up and started saying, oh my God, there's that guy in Belgium who's 22 years old and just started his own bar. I guess maybe I could do that too. I feel like yeah. there was a lot of that happening. And then with the, with the expo, I think what happened was um, the city was given a lot of money. So you had investment and that just snowballs. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I personally, it's so funny because I, it, it really dovetails with my own acceptance. I used to fight against Italy so much, especially Milan, be so frustrated with how I felt like that. things weren't working. They were so slow. There wasn't anything cool going on here. There weren't any new shops. There weren't any new, you know, of course they had Prada and Gucci and all of that, but they didn't have any sort of like um, unique, interesting. Mm -hmm. Kind of one unique boutique or like yeah. underground. Yeah, so there just wasn't like individuality. And, um, and then finally I just kind of, whatever I was complaining about, there wasn't yoga, there wasn't uh, sushi, there wasn't avocados. We, we've had this experience. There weren't avocados. I was so upset with everything, you know? And then I finally just said like, screw it. It's totally fine. I, literally, this happened to me seven or eight years ago. I said, you know what? I'm not going to fight it. I just know that I'm not going to try to get anything done on a Sunday. Everything's closed. I know that I'm just not going to do the yoga that I like to do here. And I started just like accepting the city for what it was and just really looking at all of the wonderful things that the city gives me because it's amazing how much it gives. And apart from it's being close to every other, you know, you're 45 minutes to Lake Como, you're two hours to San Moritz, you're two hours to Portofino, you're two hours by plane or one hour by plane to anywhere in Europe that you want to be. The accessibility is incredible. The people are so wonderful. Italians are great, great people with their heart in the right place, their feet on the ground, um, their priorities straight. And then I just kind of like gave up on the big like criticizing Milan. And then it was so funny at that precise moment, Italy started changing. It just clicked. So maybe it was me. Who uh -huh. knows? Now, let's get back to Italians because one of the things that I love, I've always loved about your writing is when you talk about the shure. And the shura, th that is a word <laughs> that's not even translatable in Roman. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it, th there doesn't exist a shura in Rome. So could you? Describe what a shura is and then talk it's about It's like yours. a high-octane housewife. It's like the most magnificent housewife you could ever imagine. And I'm not talking about those cheesy ones that go on reality TV <laughs> in L.A. like or in New York or wherever they are. Um, first of all, a shura would never go on a reality TV program. Like, just not. like she has the best manners. She has the best taste. Um, they are just like radically developed, they have a radically developed sense of aesthetics and style and maintaining their homes. They usually have like three homes, you know, I mean, it's just incredible the yeah. way they, they, they balance like 
I would just go to these homes and I would just see these meals being whipped up effortlessly and not understanding how they made everything look so easy, you know? And then what I really realized was that, um, you know, obviously they had a lot of help, but they didn't make it so obvious the way Americans do. And, they're wet, and they weren't so high strung the way Americans are, you know, about like, um, I mean, my favorite thing about Italians is that there's, they have this ethos of the more is merrier. And I can think back to all my friends in New York and LA who would freak out if you ever invited someone extra over to their house, like if they, who they didn't know. Whereas in Italy, that is like, that's not only not frowned upon, it is encouraged. It's like a gift you bring. <laughs> it's a gift you bring if you bring someone they don't know. And um, anyway, the, the, the real, as I was saying to you earlier before we started, the real shure don't work. So the women that I focused on at, on, my website are technically not really sure, but they embody that classiness and that incredible balance of being so like fastidious about the home and how everything is like beautifully decorated, beautifully serviced, like the best meals, the best parties, uh, everything organized so wonderfully. And those same women, though, are also running incredible art galleries, are working in the design world, are architects, are fashion designers, etc. So I really focused on the ones that did have careers and had creative careers. And you have a dedicated section on your website to them. Yeah, so I have a section that's called Legendary Ladies because I they would be insulted if I called them shure because in, <laughs> in Milan, the, the, the term is sort of derogatory because it, it implies a certain amount of stuffiness mm. and these women are much more, let's say, cool than the classic shure. Um, so I called them legendary ladies. But then we have a section called School of Shura, in which we've got yes. all of their rules and like their lists of the way they do things and how they don't do things, and which I loved. And eventually I wanted to put that together in a book. But then I got sidetracked because our fashion business became so big and we launched homeware well, and the whole say, thing. Now, so now you've kind of embodied the Shura by creating the whole homeware line, which yeah, is beautiful. Yeah. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you, because I know you have a busy day, I wanted to ask you a little bit, I wanted to know, you know, Milan, I would love to know your favorite spots to go. I'd love for our listeners to know. I know, I, re- I think I remember I read an article where you mentioned Marchese, the cafe that you like. I love Marchese, and I also love Kuki, which was um, one of these old um, cafes, bars that was opened in the 1930s. And I, what I love in Italy are just the fact that the waiters, they never change. You know, it's not like New York where the waiters are off-duty actors and they want, they can't wait to leave. In Italy, the waiters are like, that is their career choice. So they know everything about you. They know everything about you. And I just love those places where they welcome you and you know them. I mean, now that we have this puppy, I've had this puppy for two months and at Kuki, She's a celebrity. Of course. I mean, it's so funny. Not only do they not mind if she pees on the floor <laughs> of the cafe, they are like, they treat her like a queen. It's What's your so puppy's name? Pepper. Oh, I used to have a dog named Pepper, but she was a Yorkie. Oh, yeah? She is a carvina, uh, a pug. It's so oh, funny. Oh, that's so cute. Um, yeah. Can I ask you what, um, where, where are great places to... 
grab a drink maybe. I know um, like the, I know the cocktail scene is such a big deal in Milan, the aperitivo scene. Do you have any special places that you like or would suggest? I mean, the Bulgari is the Bulgari Hotel is a famous place to get an aperitivo just because they bring you the most incredible spread of food. Um, so during the whenever the the sun comes out, um, starting in April, that's where everyone usually is. Um, but there's a lot of cute places now. Um, Luisa Beccaria opened up a place called Lou Bar that's super cute. Um, these friends of mine opened this gin place called the Botanical Club. Ah. Um, so they doing all their own distilled gin on the premises. Oh, fabulous. It's really cute. You would love that, darling. I know. My <laughs> husband loves that. I don't drink hard alcohol, but, um, uh, where else do I like to go? Um, well, I'm not a big partier. I personally, I love going into churches, not to drink, obviously, but I love going into churches, um, when the priest's not there, when there's no mass, I'm not a religious person, but I just find it very I, meditative and spiritually enriching to be in these incredible um, caves of creativity. You know, I just, that's what I love most about Italy is just being so close to the creativity and the artistry and the... You can just walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just connected to it. I mean, that's what's so cool about working on this project is that we, we work with historic Italian companies. So Mantero for the Seta. We did a collaboration with Cartel for the furniture. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's fabulous. We um, are working with Salviati on Murano glasses. They're a 19th century glass company yeah. maker in Venice. Um, we, I, you know, it, it's just remarkable to me how passionate all of these people are about the creativity. Like I f feel like if you were going to work with a big company in America, you know, it's all about the bottom line. It's all about the numbers. How much money are you making? Can Did you build value for your investors? Are you going to make the target numbers? In Italy, they're really not thinking that way. And, and of course, like American companies are generally more successful, but at the same time, the Italians, they, they have had several companies that are super successful and they're just having a better time. I think it goes back to what you were saying, like with the shoot you can like, they're just not stressed out. I mean, obviously. They, they might know. be stressed out, but like in a different way. They're not so controlling. That's yes. what it is. It's like, it's, it's less control. They let things flow. There's a real flow in Italy, which I appreciate and I had to learn here. It seems like you've got the flow pretty well. I mean, that's what transmits in all the projects that you're doing. Now I have a question. Can I ask you this? Um, homewares, dresses, outerwear, sweaters, glassware. What's next in this empire? I think that we'll try to maybe do our own store, oh. our own physical store somewhere. In Milan? So yeah, I would love to do one in Milan that maybe has, I'd love to partner with someone you know, outside of fashion. So maybe it's like yoga or maybe it's a restaurant or maybe, I don't know. That'd be great. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And um, I really thank you for your time. It was a great, sure. great morning and now I have to browse. Okay, good. <laughs> Bene, nice to meet you all. Ciao tutti. Ciao. Grazie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao Bella. You can find all my episodes on iTunes, and if you have time, subscribe, rate, and let me know your thoughts on the podcast. You can also be part of the podcast by donating. Find Ciao Bella on patreon.com. 
where with as little as $1, you get behind-the-scenes photos and videos as I travel all throughout Italy. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafirpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafirpo. Ciao, bella! And a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Dis to Dis Studios, the producers of Ciao Bella who continue to make me sound and feel great.